G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you will know, the momentum for changing laws around the concept of gender fluidity has been gaining pace. Already in the state of Queensland in, and in the ACT, parliaments have enacted laws to enable prosecution of people who look to intervene in a child identifying as opposite sex. In Queensland, it's primarily professional counsellors who face prosecution for what has been termed conversion therapy. In the ACT, it's even more extreme where parents are also exposed to prosecution for trying to protect the sexual development of their own children. The next state in line to introduce the so-called conversion therapy laws is the state of Victoria. Deep concerns have been raised by Christian leaders, not only because seeking Christian counsel for unwanted same-sex attraction is often considered to be a part of what happens in conversion therapy, but also because same-sex attracted people become locked into their choices, even as small children. Well, today some insights into the power of prayer in the life of a same-sex attracted person. Our special guest through this coming hour is James Parker. He has his own story to tell about what happens when Christians pray. He's an abuse survivor, a former gay rights activist, and he's passionate about the godly restoration of men and women. James Parker, a special welcome along to 2020. It's great to be on the program with you today, Neil. Thanks for having me on board. James, we better start with your story. You've got a very significant story to tell. Give us an in a nutshell account of what's happened in your life so far. Well, I mean, basically, Neil, I came out at the age of 17. I was 100% same-sex attracted. And as you mentioned, I actually was a gay activist. And that I kicked that in at the age of 18. And I preached that the, so the mantra that I was born gay. Uh, I had a time of promiscuity, but then I entered into a long-term gay relationship. And it was in that relationship that, um, in a sense, my life hit just a few challenges. So I just entered into regular day-to-day therapy. And it was actually during that time as well, uh, in my long-term relationship, that I actually became a Christian as well. Being gay wasn't the focus, but I also couldn't exclude um, the fact that I was gay from the therapy process. And I'll say this is the therapies and the support I got from the Christian community at that time just helped me to face uh, just numerous repressed infantile trauma, uh, which, as you mentioned again, there was some extensive childhood sexual abuse. There was also the effects of exposure to pornography. And I'd I'd been sexually assaulted as a teenager. So by the time I hit 17, 18, I I was questioning my, my, my gender. And really, that's in some way, my formative or my developmental years in, in, in a nutshell. So there I was questioning, was I a man or a woman? I was certainly preaching the gay message and preaching I was born gay. Um, and, and then what happened is it was in the midst of all of that that I made a decision to follow the person of Jesus Christ. 
And we'll come to just how important that decision is, a decision to follow Christ. And because, as you're saying, at the time you were still identifying as a gay man and you were receiving some support from the Christian community. So uh, what sort of, you know, take us take us into the depths here. Uh, not afraid to hear your thoughts here, James. Uh, okay. how, how were you being treated uh, in the Christian community when you were uh, identifying as a gay man but you were getting some support and therapy from the Christian community? Give us some insights here into into how people responded to you. Well, well, it was amazing, really. I mean, absolutely amazing. It was everything opposite to the message the gay community say. They say that the church is against them. They say the Christian community is against them. That's, that is just an absolute and utter lie. And, and the many people I walk alongside who are in churches or who are interested in Christ turn around and also to realize that's a lie. What happened for me, as I say, I was in a long-term gay relationship. And, and, and a guy basically said to me, he said, do you want more love in your life? Well, let's be honest, who's going to turn around and say no to that? I said, yeah, of course I do. He said, well, God has more love for you. That is just a basic and utter truth. So I went on a journey, really, of searching for more of God's love. Now, in, in, uh, you know, there I was in my long-term practicing gay relationship, and, and I made a decision to follow the person of Jesus Christ. Nobody ever told me, well, you know, uh, you're gay and you're wrong and you're this. They, they, their pursuit was on my heart search for the person of Jesus Christ. So that that's that was that's what I did. I, I, I made my goal um, a desire to join my heart with that of Jesus Christ. Now, what happened is in literally weeks of making that decision, my boyfriend began to see there was there was a there was really some radical differences in me. He said, Your anxiety's reduced, you're much more at peace, you know, you're just a more altogether guy, you're more receptive, you're more present. And so he said, look, could I have a slice of this as well? And I said, yeah, of course you can. And, and so what happened is he became a committed Christian as well. Now, at, at this stage, people's pursuit was on trying to encourage us in that relationship and to, to ensure that we were beginning to foster a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody was turning around and, and finger wagging at us or, you know, telling us what we could and couldn't do in relationship to our own relationship. The relationship they were focusing on was not on, on a gay relationship, but on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what made all the difference, because that's what enabled us, in a sense, to meet with what we know to be the light of the world. So the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself, began to shine his light into the areas of our lives that we needed to see where there might have been pockets of darkness. And look, there's pockets of darkness in everybody's life. We all need light in our lives. And so really, we weren't treated any differently to anybody else. We were basically just encouraged to move towards the person of Jesus Christ and above all to keep developing that personal relationship with him. That's how the church supported us. It was amazing. James, we're going to get to the issue of prayer just ahead, but there's something that you just raised, which I think is so, so important. Even the very fact that you had a connection to the Christian community this is before your former boyfriend also came to faith in Christ. He That's began right. to notice changes in you even while you were in this searching time and even rubbing shoulders with having connection with the Christian community. That was in itself uh, bringing about changes within you. Oh, completely. And, and, and I'll tell you why it was bringing about changes within me. is because what happened is, is you know, and, and I don't think many Christians realize this at all. That's why I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to share this today is, 
you know, in the Christian community, there's a real sense of honoring each other. There's a real sense of actually seeing the whole human person for who they are. Each person isn't a piece of flesh, isn't something to be kind of, you know, um, undressed in your mind. There's a real sense of dignity that happens in the Christian community that doesn't happen elsewhere. So what happened is I was being invited, Neil, into a community of people who saw me for the fullness of me. It wasn't like being on the gay community. It was a completely different experience. And it was a very dignifying experience, something that I, that I hadn't been a part of or lived within in t- to any vibrant degree for, for a long, long time, not really since my, uh, not since before my teenage years. And even, even then, you know, before my teenage years, there was, there was a lot of trauma involved there. So this was a very new environment for me. And what was happening is literally the light the goodness, the, 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 the dignity, I keep using that word, dignity of this community began to rub off, you know, onto me. It was incredibly attractive, incredibly. You know, you've got a wonderful story to tell, and I know listeners can hear something of when you talk about the light of Christ coming into someone's life. I know listeners to our conversation today will be able to relate to that. And is this, do you think, one of the reasons why the LGBTQI community is so militant against the Christian church? Because the Christian church, just by its very presence, by the dignity that it espouses, actually is a threat to the direction of the LGBTQI agenda. What are your thoughts here about the militancy that's involved here? Well, I mean, you use the word threat there. It's a very strong word to use. It is the correct word to use. But I want to say this to any of my brothers and sisters in the LGBTQI community, that, that what they see as a threat is, is not a threat of people themselves. It is an invitation to love, a love that they are absolutely and utterly yearning for. And, and, and of course, what happens is that the, the Christ himself asks of us to humble ourselves before him, not because he wants be some great awesome god that just says i'm better than you he says if you humble yourself and you come back to my plans the original design i have for you you will have life you will have love you will have light you will live as you should have lived as i as i designed you to live and what's happening is uh, you know for many in the lgbt community there's, there's this desperate search looking to the creature looking to the created to try and find what only the creator himself can actually kickstart and give to us. And so what happens, this is why gay pride is, is always being pushed and pushed and pushed. If we have more pride and we become more LGBTQ and we separate ourselves and divide ourselves even more from mainstream society, then somehow they believe that they will find joy and peace and happiness. And the opposite is what happens. What happens, they need, they need to become unified rather than divided from, from God himself from his plans, from, you know, the, the Christian community needs also to wake up, of course, and open our doors and say, look, come and walk with us. We too are imperfect. We too got aspects of brokenness and sinfulness. And we too need a savior. But, but they, in some way, the LGBTQ, yes, they do feel threatened. And yet that is the opposite of what the church itself is. But we, but we only to humble ourselves. Of course, these days, uh, we'll often talk about identity politics. Uh, people who, identi- who identify with a certain lifestyle who are looking for the love and acceptance in identifying with a group. And, of course, yeah. there is a militant leadership 
that yeah. is uh, constantly, uh, you know, uh, bombarding media with the propaganda on the LGBTQI side of things. What you seem to be saying here, James, is that the sort of love and acceptance that you crave when you are in that lifestyle is actually going to be found in more abundance on the Christian side of the equation. Is that too much a contrast to make, or or are people or are people on the LGBTQ side actually quite happy with their love and acceptance under that identity? Look, let's put it this way: if you if you felt yourself always being isolated and misunderstood, once you find anybody or that will understand you and accept you, it feels amazing. And that's why it is important that people have places and avenues where they can come out and say, look, I experience same-sex attraction to whatever degree. You know, there's a number of people who are mostly heterosexual who also experience some same-sex attraction. And, and I deal with a lot of people who are very, very frightened to tell anybody about this. And I'm saying, look, it's nothing to be afraid of. This is just where you are. But it is something that we can bring before God. We can bring you know, into the light and, you know, and, and into good therapy. I mean, and I'm talking good therapy, not bad therapy here as well, because there's ways through this. But what I'd say is this is, is but ultimately when it comes to that in, deep, deep inner freedom, um, you know, there are, I deal with scores of people, literally every single day, somebody's calling me and contact me saying, help, get me out of this community. I, I'm, I don't want to be in this. It's not answering my dreams. People after 15 years, 19 years, 20 years, you know, uh, I, I've got so many young men saying, I've done my research. I don't want to go into the gay community, but I'm same-sex attracted. Please can you just, you know, um, offer some help or support or some guidance as to a way forward. And we begin to help people to understand First of all, where same-sex attraction itself comes from or where gender dysphoria itself comes from. There's often many, many reasons behind this. Uh, reasons that actually today, uh, uh, a number of people, a number of medics today here in Australia are absolutely and utterly ignoring. And they're partly ignoring that because either they've just not been informed or they literally are running with the identity politics agenda. And it's becoming stronger and stronger than ever. It's particularly deliberately polluting our young people. And it's very much a consequence of the passing of legislation for same-sex marriage, which I actually call same-sex mirage because I've lived in the heterosexual relationship and the homosexual relationship, and they're both incredibly different. And we shouldn't be lying to people that these things are the same. So there's a, there's a, a lot of work still to be done um, out, out, you know, out here in Australian society to, to really help people understand that there's not just one direction. People don't just go from straight to gay. They very much go from gay to straight. They very much go from trans to detransitioning back into their chromosomal and genetic identity. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, you might have a comment, you might have a critique. You might be wanting to argue with our guest and uh, he's very capable of being able to engage in conversation with everyone. So 1-800-316-316. There's also a Facebook question you can respond to today on the Vision Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. The question I'm asking today is, do you think Christian prayer should be encouraged or allowed for people with unwanted same-sex attraction? Because it might appear that in states and territories around Australia, there's a move to 
in some ways, uh, outlaw that idea. James Parker, as we get into this part of our conversation and talking about the issue of prayer, some people will be thinking in church life that even if someone came forward, say, at a prayer line at the end of a service or sought some special counsel and prayer from their pastor or preach, uh, a priest at the end of a church service, that somehow or other any conversation there becomes conversion therapy. What are your thoughts for just how these things can be construed? Well, you again, Neil, you're absolutely correct to, to be questioning this because this is exactly the direction in which we're going. And, and hear me clearly, we may not have quite arrived at, at that particular point in some of these laws at the moment, but these laws are so fluffy if they, if, if they are not absolutely clear as to what could be regarded as criminal activity and what could not. Now, this all depends on the person themselves. If they feel hurt or they feel threatened or they feel challenged by a comment someone makes. So, for example, and we know perfectly well in churches, somebody may be praying for somebody and have a sense that there is something, you know, astray within their own sexuality that God would wish to challenge them about. Um, and, and, and what happens is if somebody delivers a word to somebody or has a sense of a, a bit of, a, if you like, a divine insight into what's going on in somebody's life, and they share this with somebody, that the person being prayed with can turn around and say, look, you know, you threaten my sexual identity, you threaten my sexuality, and therefore what happens is I've got every right to turn around and to, and to uh, regard that as a criminal offence. So we really are walking on very, very thin ice here. And I don't think the churches are aware that not only is this actually, in some cases, going to prevent people from praying with other people, this is very much moving in the direction of the fact that people will not be able to preach certain aspects of God's word on a Sunday morning or in a home group or anywhere else for that matter. What happens is this is the, the agenda of the LGBT community, and I know this because I was around in the earliest times when basically the global strategy was being formed. The bottom line is this, is we have to get rid of anything and everything that in any way turned around and does not celebrate homosexuality. The goal is to celebrate, not just to accept, but to celebrate homosexuality. And that means to smash everything that reeks of heteronormativity. So if heterosexuality is normal, that's got to go. Homosexuality has got to be celebrated. It's got to be celebrated in our schools, with our kids, as early as possible. So even when those healthy same-sex friendships are happening in primary school, teachers and other people can say, these children must be gay. And they begin to layer them with their identity politics. So that is what's going on. So our churches are under incredible threat. I mean, the whole ideal as well is to get rid of male and female. So what are the first three chapters of Genesis about? What is, the, what is you know, the book of Revelation about? But male and female, and basically the marriage of a bride and a groom. So the attack is very, very much against God's word, against community of believers. So it's, it's against Christ himself. And this is Ephesians chapter 6, as we know, coming to life. It's not against flesh and blood, but dark principalities and powers that we're dealing with here. James, before we develop our ideas uh, talking about prayer today, let's take a call or two. Lester is on the line from Dolby in Queensland. Hello, Lester. Welcome along. Okay, now I've got a question. Um, what happens uh, if you're both same-sex attracted and suffering from the mental order, disorder, uh, depression? 
good question. James, your thoughts for Lester and uh, same-sex attracted and suffering depression? Oh, well, first of all, Lester, I'd say this. Anybody who's in that situation, the first thing to know and, is uh, the fact that... And before, you, uh, and before you answer that question, I have to identify myself as a sufferer of both. Okay. Although, no, I have been, although I have put, although I have been putting aside the same sex the attraction. However, I am interested in your answer. Oh, well, the, the the first first bit of my answer, Lester, is well, God loves you. He's absolutely passionate about you. And of course, the amazing thing is this, and this is what I certainly find beautiful about being a Christian, is that I know that Jesus has walked all my suffering for me. And so whether you're a Christian or not, Lester, I keep inviting you and encouraging you, brother, just to keep bringing your same-sex attraction and that sense of, of struggle with the depression, keep bringing it to the person of Jesus Christ. Because without him, I, I honestly do believe that things get worse. But, but I'd say this as well, and this is why these laws, are in some way, are incredibly tragic and incredibly discriminatory. Because what happens is, you know, the doors could well be closed. In fact, if you're in Queensland, the doors are being closed, as they are in ACT, might well be in Victoria, for you to go ahead and to begin to explore what some of what might be underneath some of the depression you're feeling, uh, some of the issues that might well affect your sexual attraction. Uh, there may be issues, there may not be, but I honestly believe that you have the freedom, Lester, to be able to go forward autonomously from your own right and say, I want to look at and to begin to examine some of the issues in my life. But I also encourage you, brothers, to go ahead and to do that from the perspective of the fact that God is with you in the midst of all of this, and that he will hold your hand with you through it. And I, my, my prayer, my desire is the church will be with you in it too. Sex attraction anymore, because all these other things are swamped. It. You know, the, uh, uh, the depression and other illnesses have sort of... Uh, sort of taken first place and uh yes. um in my attention and uh and uh and I found that I've been doing a lot of damage to myself just as the Bible says. Yes. You know? Right. And this is again mate you, you I mean Lester, if if I hadn't found the people I found as a younger man then, then I, I honestly believe I'd be living in no, your. I'm not really. I'm looking for same-sex support. I'm looking for no. depression support. Yeah. Well, what happens, you see, is, is for many people with same-sex attraction, it's common that there's a lot of depression. What happens is often different sadness and anger that we've rightly felt in the past because of broken relationships and challenges in relationships. We end yeah, up struggling yeah, with incredible right. depression. Incredible depression. But what's happening is, if you're not careful you're not going to be able to take the fullness of yourself into a therapeutic situation or into a prayerful situation because politicians are now saying, you're not broken, Lester. And yet here you are publicly on the radio. God bless you, mate. You've got courage. Saying to us, but I am. There's areas in my life where actually I'm in real trouble and I want to be helped. Yeah. And the government is saying to us, sorry, we won't let you be helped because there's nothing wrong with you, Lester. And that's what they're saying in Victoria. That's what they're saying in ACT. That is what your health minister in Queensland has been saying. I found help in the church. Um, pastor of a church I used to go to has set up a, has arranged counselling and he's willing to be, uh, willing to be in my interviews and um, help me out, you know? 
Beautiful. That's um, beautiful. So again, here we have the Christian community trying to support you. That's great. Uh, Lester, thank you so much for your call and uh, certainly for your candid openness about your own challenge and your own struggles here and we're so thrilled that you have got a connection there with a local church in Dolby. James, let's talk about prayer. Take us back to the time in your life when you were prayed for, because you've got a before prayer and after prayer story to tell. What was going on in your life around that time? Well, I mean, what happened is this for me, um, uh, really, Neil, is, and it's not too unlike everybody else's life. And this is why, in some way, the whole LGBT side of things is really, a, it's a smokescreen. Because either you're walking in the light, as we've mentioned already earlier in the, in the program, or you're not walking in the light. And so what happens is, is when we're not walking in the light, we're tripping over everything. And, and, and the tripping comes up in a sense, if you like, is lots of addictive behaviors and the rest of it. For me, um, I was uh, very promiscuous. You know, um, I was regularly in and out of the sexual health clinic, you know, leaning really on Medicare to pick up the tab for, for um, many of my bad decisions, if you like. So what happened is through prayer is I began to just gain um, to, ch- to, be, to challenge many issues in my life, such as things as I felt I was unattractive, I felt unwanted, I felt unvalued. I felt like damaged goods as a result of my childhood abuse. I turned on myself and was condemning myself. I didn't need anybody else to help me do that. You know, I, I didn't like being me. Um, you know, I felt rejected. There was all sorts of issues of rejection around me. And I had incredible anxiety that was medicating me. Um, and so what happened is the prayer itself began, as I say, to began to shine a light into the areas of my life where I needed to be helped. But it, it wasn't just about helping me here and now. I, I love that verse in the book of Hebrews where it talks about Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because what happened is, as I presented the entirety of myself before the person of Jesus Christ in our relationship, in prayer, then what happens is his Holy Spirit was able to come into my life and to touch me in areas of my past where I'd been wounded. I hear that again. This was not for God to literally do divine surgery in my life, in my past, and to begin to help me to be restored in areas where I'd previously been broken. This is the beauty and the wonder of prayer. And, and I watch many people, let me say this again, if you're not careful, some people think, oh, this is just one guy. No, this is, that's rubbish. There are hundreds and hundreds of people with a very similar story to my own out there. Change is unquestionably possible for all of us. And that's why some of these laws being brought in are absolutely and utterly unjust. If if the alcoholic can get help, then why can't other people get help? You know, if the the person who is struggling with drugs can get help, or a person struggling with depression can get help, then why can't somebody with same-sex attraction or somebody who is gender-questioning but prayer has been absolutely imperative to help me to be able to move forward and to become, and I use these words deliberately, to become the man that God ultimately created me to be. Now, I'm still on that journey, but mate, I love where I am today 
compared to where I used to be. James, let me ask you about the prayer because, you know, perhaps different traditions have different ways of praying. You know, in a Catholic tradition, there might be one way. In an evangelical or a Pentecostal tradition, there might be something like a laying on of hands. There might be a calling of the elders to pray. Uh, There's all sorts of different traditions. Uh, What sort of prayer were you receiving when you were, when we're identifying this time of prayer right now? Well, I'll be honest with you, Neil, I feel like Gary Chapman's five love languages, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard about that. There's different ways that people feel loved and feel connected. And God, because he's infinite, he doesn't shut down any one of those ways. He looks for any way whatsoever that we offer to him so that he can begin to help us. So in some way or other, the whole thing of repetitious prayer that some of the traditional churches might use was really helping me to become grounded and grounded and grounded. But then there was the laying on of hands that were really, really important. Then there was using the gifts or the charisms of the Holy Spirit to be identify things from the past that needed to be dealt with, you know, having sense of a prophetic word to call me forward, to encourage me, to build me up, you know. So there was a, a number of different methodologies or a number of different, in a sense, shades of prayer that we used to help me. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was so desperate, Neil. I was so desperate. Once I tasted of this love, I tasted of this joy, I tasted of this light. I'm like, Lord, bring it on. Whatever's on offer from you, I'm going to take it. I don't care what the diet is. I don't care what's on the table. If you tell me to eat and to engage with you in whatever way, I will do it. That's how hungry I was. And James, when you say that in that prayer, there's like a shining of light into those corridors of your life. And when we talk about God's word and when we're in prayer, we're reflecting, aren't we, uh, God's word. And so God's word becomes a little bit like a mirror. We see ourselves in uh, in the contrast of what, as you call, you know, what a true godly manhood looks like. And then we can see where we are actually different to that. So highlighting the difference exposes us to God's truth, God's power and that comes into our lives and uh, identifies areas of our our lives that need to have his light shine onto them how do you describe what's happening when you know when that prayer is happening there's powerful stuff going on isn't there it is well i mean you know so paul talks about you know the renewal of our minds you know he also talks about taking every single thought captive so what happened is this is as i began to grow in my personal relationship with jesus so you asked a question earlier on, what was it like for me as a practicing gay man in a long-term relationship coming to Christ? People's attention was on the fact that they were calling me to still my soul like a well-fed child, as it says in the Psalms. They were calling me to learn what it was to be still before God and just to call upon the name of Jesus and to surrender to the Holy Spirit, who, as we know at the beginning of Genesis, he brings order out of chaos. So I would literally come before Jesus, Jesus, here I am. Send me your Holy Spirit and bring order out of anything chaotic in my life. That became my foundational prayer. Then I would go to his word. And then in the word of God itself, because we know it is infinite, that it is alive, you know, as I say, that it literally restores us, it names us. This is God speaking to us. So what happens is I would take um, a word from Scripture, something particularly relating to identity. So it could be something like, you are the head and not the tail. And, and I'd say, oh, my goodness, but I think I am the tail. I think I'm unwanted. I think I'm unvalued. I think I'm damaged. I think I'm all these things. So I learned to take 
these old thought patterns that have been going round in my head that have affected my heart, that affected my behavior, that affected my relationships. And I took these thoughts captive and I learned what it was to repent of them and say, Lord, I have been thinking these things for years and these things are lies. Your word says something different. So I'm going to leave with you, Jesus, at the foot of your cross. I'm going to leave the lies that I believed and I'm going to take up the truth of what your word says. And I'm going to dwell on it. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to dream about it, whatever it takes, until I learn to live the words, the word according to what you said about my life. And only then can I take on board my true identity as to who you created me to be. I'm still clearly on that pathway. I, I believe that every one of the listeners should be along that pathway as well. And I'll be honest with you as well. It's, I send out 40 or 50 scriptures to people most days to say, this is your identity in Christ. Come back to your identity. Take captive all the thoughts that deny or challenge or deny or lie to you about what God's word says. And let God's word make its home deep, deep, deep within you. Okay, let's go through perhaps a, a quick overview of what happens before and then there's prayer and then the change that comes after and perhaps for some listeners this might even be the most important part of our conversation today as there's been such a wonderful foundation laid as to what God does and what happens when prayer comes into the life of a person who is seeking change from their unwanted same-sex attraction. So let's, you've already mentioned things like, you know, beforehand you were promiscuous, uh, you were receiving treatments for uh, sexually transmitted infections, leaning on Medicare. After that, you had a reduced sexual compulsivity. That's right. Uh, That's right. Let's talk about the anxiety issue. And we talked to Lester, who called in just a little while back, and he was suffering dreadful uh, depression. And so let's, let's say heightened anxiety. What happens when you get prayer in this situation uh, when we when we talk about a before and after, well, I mean, again, what does God's word say to us? It says that Jesus said, uh, you know, that He will give us a peace that the world cannot give. He Himself is peace. So as we surrender our lives to Him, and as He begins to live in us, and we are in relationship with Him, what happens is we begin to take on His characteristics. I mean, you know, if if, if I hung around Queensland for a long time, I'd pick up a Queensland accent. I just, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's life. We, we, we become like the people we hang around. But, but when, particularly those who are powerful and have got powerful characters, well, there's no one more powerful than Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than his name. So therefore, when we, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time, you know, submitting our, our, our chaos to the opportunity to, for, for his divine order, and what happens is our anxiety begins to reduce. And, and I know this, that the, the, you know, this is one of the most beautiful things about prayer and daily prayer and the importance of what it is to keep fostering that daily relationship with Jesus is that it, it, he's able to be peace within our lives and therefore our anxiety reduces. I, I know for, for many, many people who come and see me, they're on all sorts of medication and, uh, you know, there's the, the massive issues around the anxiety issue. But as Jesus begins to touch our hearts, as we let the Holy Spirit literally come and live within us, then that anxiety begins to be 
reduced. Okay, let's go through this list. You were taking antidepressants. You were having mood swings. After prayer, what happened, James? Well, what happened is this is, first of all, is where, where I was depressed, what happened is the church community were a people that were willing to let me weep and cry and to get in touch with areas of deep sadness in my life. Now, let me say this. Depression, I've come to understand, certainly many people, is in a sense we've repressed the fact that we're angry, that we feel sad about something, and often we feel sad because nobody heard our heart. So what happens is this is the church, the body of Christ, you know, Christ people began to walk with me in the areas of sadness in my life. I've got so much childhood trauma going on deep within my own heart. And this was permitted to rise up, but it wasn't just meant to rise up, but to be expressed in a healthy and appropriate way. Thanks be to God for the Christian community. And so what happens is, is everything that was depressed in me was no longer being depressed or repressed or suppressed. It was coming up and out of me. And once that came up and out of me, there was a level of freedom to my heart and to my soul. So my mood began to become balanced. And I began to taste of the strong sense of joy that was my, in a sense, my rightful inheritance all along. Jesus said, I came that your joy would be complete. And so what happens, he takes all my my weariness, my depression, and my grieving, and my sorrow, and my righteous anger, he takes it into himself. He says, right, here you are, you have your joy back. That's what you should have had in the first place. That's certainly what happened there with the antidepressants and mood swings, Neil. Okay, James, you had, you described many addictions. Pornography was an addiction, alcohol was an addiction, work was an addiction. What happens in the life of a believer when you receive prayer uh, in that circumstance? Well, in some way or other, I mean, all the, uh, these, these addictions are is an ability either to try and cope, either to try and feel alive, or something like a work addiction, which of course is not uncommon today, is often the fact that we feel we have to perform for other people. We don't have to perform for anybody. You know, literally, we are accepted for who we are through Jesus Christ with the dignity that he's brought for us on the cross. So anything that's depraved or anything that's not living out of that dignified persona needs to be brought to Christ. So what happened for me is this is all the this striving I used to have to be wanted, to be noticed, to be accepted, to be valued, um, trying to make up for all the rubbish of my past. What happened is the Lord began to unveil my eyes and he began to show me that who I am is loved just because I am, because he created me. So what happened is as these veils began to be removed, I stopped uh, feeling this, this massive, massive drive, first of all, either to numb myself from pain of the past or trying to find a kick in life or just a sense of a, a fleeting jab of, of intimacy through pornography, even though it's a false intimacy, or just, you know, um, just trying to, to, to feel a connection with other people, hoping that what I did would in some way make them love me. What happened is by coming to Christ is all these external addictions and this addictive behavior began to fall off me because I came to realize that I'm loved because I, I, of who I am. I'm loved for being me and that I can be in relationship with he who is eternal and he who is the source of all love. He was what I was looking for all along. And I'd say to any of my LGBTQ brothers and sisters who are listening in, either live or any recording of this, I want to say to you, Jesus is what you're looking for. He is what your heart's cry is all about. 
step aside from this identity, this false identity. Nobody's asking you to deny whether you're same-sex attracted or not. Nobody's asking you to do that. But what we are doing is inviting you to come and receive of more love. That's what we're about. James, you were self-harming before prayer. What was the result after prayer? Well, again, self-harming is a turning in on oneself, um, either a self-hatred, a self-contempt, or it's a sense that, you know, um, one feels incredibly numb or trying to numb oneself because of pain. But then there's a real desire to still feel because we're made with emotions. Uh, and so what happened is, as a result of the prayer, is, is um, you know, I began to feel my emotions, what they really were. And those which were challenging, like the anger, like the fear, like the sorrow and the shame and the guilt, I was able to bring those to the foot of the cross. I was able to bring those to Jesus. And there he was waiting with me. He showed me that he carried all of these things on Calvary. But beyond Calvary, there's resurrection. There is, you know, the Easter Sunday joy was there awaiting me. So, I mean, it it took time, Neil, I'll be honest with you. This has been a long journey, Um, you know, but my self-harming within a matter of a year, a couple of years, began to significantly reduce. And today there is none whatsoever. James, you had an inability to commit, and commitment has changed dramatically for you after this prayer, this ministry. What is it now that you can say you can identify where your commitment has dramatically changed? Well, many listeners may not know that that my issue with commitment went back even to my birth itself. I my my blood father had abandoned my blood mother while I was in the womb, and then my blood mother abandoned me at birth before I was incubated and adopted and fostered and then orphaned, sorry orphaned then adopted. And so what happened is literally the first few months of my life were just strewn with a lack of commitment, not on the fault of anybody else, I'm not blaming people. It's just just the way the situation was. But it meant that I never felt I could commit to anybody or that anybody was committed to me. But in coming into a relationship with Jesus, I mean, he makes it very clear in the book of Joshua chapter one. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you or abandon you. Now, the longer I walked with Jesus day in, day out, not only did he sustain the relationship with me, but he increased it with me. And I came to an understanding deep within myself that Jesus was never going to abandon me. So as I learned to be shaped again afresh in the very core of my being with what it means to commit, that means that when I began to find women attractive, having previously been 100% homosexual, same-sex attracted, then what happened I was able to go and date I eventually, um, you know, took the, plucked up the courage to, to ask a, a beautiful Aussie girl to marry me. And then I ended up getting married and I ended up becoming a parent. Now, these things were absolutely unheard of in my mind or in my heart as an, uh, in my early adulthood when I was living as a gay man. There's no way I would ever have believed these to be true. But of course, we know, as it says in the Gospel of Luke in chapter one, with God, all things are possible. It is possible for people who are same-sex attracted to change. It's not about becoming heterosexual. It's about fulfilling the desires of one's heart. It is a journey towards Christ. It's a journey towards holiness, not heterosexuality. And what these new laws are trying to do is to stop people. You know, it's trying to take away their basic freedoms and their basic human rights to be able to make the choices they want to do to be able to live a fulfilling life. And it's got to stop. 
and these politicians, attorney generals in Victoria, um, you know, uh, has, t- has turned around and said, Jill Hennessy said just yesterday, we're sending a clear message that no one is broken because of their sexuality or gender identity. Well, let me say this to you, Ms. Hennessy, is everybody I meet who's got an issue with sexuality or gender identity recognizes they're broken and they want help. And Christ in the midst of the church is also an avenue of help that many of our governments are also now trying to shut down. So these conversion therapy laws are locking people into their sexuality and they are forbidding people any way of any help, a help that they need in those desperate times. James, we have run out of time, but there'll be listeners today, no doubt, who would love to connect more uh, or uh, find some detail or some way that they can take this a little further. I know you have a number of DVDs and CDs and things that you've produced over over the time. How's the best way for people to connect with you and to find some of these messages, to take things a little deeper and to explore some more of these things that we've only just introduced people to today? Well, I'd say my name, simple name, James Parker, incredibly Western a name, uh, in, into, into YouTube, first of all, uh, and uh, my name will certainly pop up there. And also people can find me on Facebook. They can also find me on Twitter as well. James Parker, type in James Parker, Perth. I'm calling you from Perth today in WA. Uh, people can certainly find me in that way. Uh, I'm in the process of putting together uh, lots of different materials as well. And so if people get in touch with me, I can point them in the right direction. I would be very, very happy to do so. Okay. Well, James, just uh, wonderful to hear your story and recognising that it's a journey and every single one of us is on a journey. But when prayer comes into our lives, the light of Christ, the light of God, shone into those corridors of our own hearts and amazing things happen from where we were before prayer what happens when we're exposed to the light of God and then the change that comes after prayer. Just wonderful to hear your story. As uh, you said, simply Google James Parker YouTube and you'll find some more of the sorts of things we're talking about today. You can find James Parker on Facebook and on Twitter. And James, just uh, loved your story and uh, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with listeners today. And uh, and I'll just encourage listeners to, there is a Facebook post, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And uh, James, uh, you're invited to respond to any of the uh, the questions and comments that people have on that Facebook post. I'll just Thank let you. you know. And uh, the question we're asking today is, do you think Christian prayer should be encouraged or allowed for people with unwanted same-sex attraction? You can find that Facebook post at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. James Parker, thanks for being with us on 2020. It's been great to be with you today. Thank you. God bless you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.